This is Your Own Best Company, a podcast for people who love to work alone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Your Own Best Company. This is a podcast for people who love working alone and um, mostly solopreneurs, freelancers, and some other uh, creative types that uh, love to have a, an office with a closed door um, or some kind of a barrier between them and the outside world so that they can concentrate and do their best work. My guest today is Stephen Krauss. And Stephen is a, an interesting story. Um, we had a chance to, to, to chat a, a few weeks ago and I got to learn a little bit about him. Um, I want I want you to know, first of all, that, that his primary focus in his business is helping entrepreneurs buy and sell businesses with a structured process and impartial analysis. Um, we're going to get into how to how to create something that ultimately will have a saleable value um, as a solopreneur or even as a freelancer. Um, he's also a scuba instructor and a black and white film photographer. Now let's start, Stephen, by talking about the film. How did you get interested in black and white film photography? Well, uh, thanks for having me today, Franklin. Uh, I, I would We could probably spend my whole time with you talking about film photography. I <laughs> started as a photographer, uh, you know, an amateur photographer many years ago, uh, and just enjoyed the process in about 2002 or three, I took a film photography course at Front Range in the evenings, just kind of on a whim. And we did everything uh, from, from scratch is what the words that came to my mind, but we literally rolled our own film, shot the shot on film cameras, obviously, and did the developing of, of the film and uh, even the developing of the prints in the darkroom. And since that time, I just enjoyed the process, the manual um, and the and the pace. You know, when you're shooting digital, the pace can be very frenetic. But when you shoot film, the pace has to slow down. You only have 36 shots, right? And then you can obviously you can change roles, but but the the pace is slower, and so it gives you the uh, the the time to consider what you're shooting and say, is this really worth taking a picture of? So you don't see a lot of black and white film of people's dinner, right? <laughs> and so whereas we have on, uh, you know, with uh, Instagram and all of that, you have a lot of shots of stuff that is very ad hoc. But with film, it's more purposeful. And so, or at least it promotes the idea of being more purposeful. And so I just enjoy that process. And I, I hung on to the uh, shooting the film and developing the negatives but then I do go to a hybrid process at that point. I don't have a dark room. I don't print. Uh, I don't develop prints, but I do develop the the negatives and then I scan them and, and go from there. So. Uh, so you're missing the magic of seeing the image pop up on the paper as it's in the chemical <laughs> bath, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a level of commitment to a dark room that I'm just not ready to do right now. <laughs> well, I'm, it's, it's also gotten more difficult, I think, to find the chemicals than it, than it once was, I think. Yeah, there are a couple of places that still offer them. Um, yeah. And the chemicals are relatively inexpensive for film development. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah, it's it's kind of nice. The, the, the topic of our conversation this morning is going to be helping, helping solopreneurs and freelancers 
develop their business to a point where it is saleable. And it's something that uh, down the road, it's something that they could offer to another company, another person, um, so that the business itself carries on and continues to, to have value. Can you talk a little bit about, first of all, how did you land in, in this, in this particular niche? That's, that's the first question. <laughs> yeah, of course. And it, it really came from how can I, with my experience and background, be the most helpful to the entrepreneurial community? Uh, it, I started out in 2015, I started beyond 50% just to basically do business consulting you know, operations management consulting. And th that is helpful and great, but there are a lot of people out there who do that. So I, as the, as my business continued and I kept thinking about it and refining what I wanted to do, I realized that I've purchased and sold more companies than most entrepreneurs. And not from the perspective of a broker, but from the perspective of an owner and a buyer, right? And so I went through and said, you know, I can help people avoid a lot of pitfalls and uh, engage this whole process with confidence and peace of mind. So when you walk away from a deal, whether you're buying or selling, you walk away knowing I got what I expected. You know, when you're on the buying side, two weeks after the previous owner leaves, what do you have? You know, are, do you have the opportunity to make the money that you expected to make or to make the impact that you expected to make? Um, or did you miss something in your due diligence? And so I want to help people really uh, focus on getting the most out of those transactions, not in, a, in, a, in an arm twisting way where I got more than this person, but getting the real value that they need out of a, a business deal. I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the side of your business where you're helping people to buy a business, because I feel like that there may be some people that are interested in that aspect as well of, you know, buying something that already exists rather than starting it from the, from the idea up. Um, what would a person look for in a business that they would want to buy? What, what are the important things for them to know about that business? Absolutely. There's the first thing you have to know, ironically is nothing about the business. The first thing you have to know is about yourself. Okay. And you know, there are two kinds of people who buy businesses. There are people who buy businesses to make money and people who buy businesses to make an impact. And those aren't bipolar. You know, there's a scale. So we can say, okay, the making money part of the scales here and the impact scales here, and we might be here in our head, or we might be, no, it's really important for me to make an impact and I'm not as worried about the money. Um, in terms of when I say not, not worried about making money, I'm saying, I don't need a fancy car. I don't need to live up in the mountains in a 4,000 square foot home. I want to make an impact. And that's what drives me. Not, I don't care if we make money and then we go out of business, right? That's, you know, anybody who buys a business needs to understand making money sufficient to support the enterprise, right? So that's the first thing you have to decide. Are you 
interested in in the money side or the impact side. And that's not a judgment. That's what you need to do as a person who's going to invest their time and energy into this process. Okay. And so then you need to say, what do I bring to the table? What do I have to offer a business that, a, that the owner isn't going to have? And that may be time. Maybe the owner's ready to retire. Fine. Or it may be that you have a new perspective or a, a skill set or a knowledge base that you can add to that business that the prior owner didn't have, where you can take that same business and leverage it more heavily in the direction that it's already going, or you have an alternate direction or an additional direction where you can you can leverage it in there and create more value with the same inputs, if you will. So when it when it comes to the the buying the business itself, now I need to look for what am I interested in, what's available in the area that I want to to be, and how much capital do I have to invest, and how am I going to raise that capital? So for me, when it look at when we look at the business itself, the process that that we need to deal with that's important is that um, the getting prepared and then worry about the, the, the stuff that people really think about is what is the due diligence we need to do, right? You know, honestly, if you don't hit that preparation piece, right, the due diligence isn't going to be your biggest problem. And so then you go into due diligence and negotiation. And just as a matter of, of due diligence and negotiation, what I would say in the short time that we have to share together is first of all, get an accountant and a lawyer that work for you, okay? Um, we don't use the same lawyer for both parties. We don't use our brother-in-law or our sister-in-law to be our attorney. Um, somebody that you are paying and they work for you. And then with the due diligence, you need to look at, let's say, um, I like to see five years of financials. That allows you to see trends and current status, right? And that means certified financials, not just Excel spreadsheets off somebody's computer. So I guess that would be, like I said, in the short time that we have, that would be my thoughts on, on what does it look like to, to get into the business buying process. And if you can imagine the complexities of that or the details of that is where I add value to my customers. What are the biggest mistakes that you've seen people make when they've bought businesses? So, um, trust. <laughs> I hate to say that. We always want to trust the other party. But um, I believe it was Ronald Reagan that said, trust but verify. And 100% verify. Uh, so that's the first thing. Always do your due diligence. Don't let your, your passion drive your signature. No matter how excited you are about it, do the work. And that's, again, another thing that, that I add is that objective piece where I'm not a broker, so I'm not getting a percentage of the work or the, of, the, of the deal. And so I can ask the hard questions and say, do you really feel like this is the direction you want to go? Have you asked the, the previous owner about these details? Do we understand those things? And... So that's the, you know, really doing that due diligence and being objective. 
and I guess that's kind of two things, but objectivity is a huge one. Um, the other two that I guess I would talk about uh, is, or maybe three, one is um, the, the whole negotiation, strong arming kind of positioning. That's not the, the best way to approach a business arrangement or a business deal. Everybody needs to win. And if you don't feel like you can both win, you've probably got the wrong deal. And, and that's okay. It's perfectly happy or perfectly good to say, no, this isn't the deal for me because I can't, for example, if I'm a, a seller and I want $2 million for my company and you're a buyer and you want to pay 1.5, the, the, it doesn't mean that the negotiation has to get to somewhere in that area. I can be perfectly legitimate saying $2 million is what my company's worth. And you can be perfectly legitimate saying 1.5 is all it's worth to me. And there's nobody's wrong. That's, that's the thing where we just have to say, okay, we can't reach an agreement. That's okay. So, um, you know, accepting no is, is one of those things. You don't have to get to yes. And that's a mistake that people make is they say, okay, I'm this far into the negotiation. I have to find a way to make this work. No, you don't. Just find another buyer, find another seller. That's okay. Um, and talking too much in negotiations, sharing too much. Um, you know, it, silence is, uh, there's a book called Never Split the Difference. Yeah. And I would recommend before you buy a company, before you sell a company, read that book. And again, it's not about uh, learning to strong arm the other party. It's about learning to negotiate with integrity and learning to negoti negotiate from a position of your strengths and your convictions. So, yeah. And that's, uh, I think that's by a guy named Chris Voss. Uh, yes. Is that right? Um, it's interesting that you would, you, that you would bring up, you know, the, the idea that you get so far into a negotiation that you just have to, that you have to go all the way with it. And one of the best lessons that I ever learned from anyone was that I had a mentor that said, you just have to know when to walk. You know, it's like, at what point do you just walk away from the deal? And what was really interesting was that what he said was that when you, when you actually walk away, that's usually when the deal falls toward your favor. <laughs> Absolutely. And just to kind of uh, expand on that a little bit, the, uh, one of the, you asked about mistakes. One of the biggest things you can do it to your benefit is before you even go into a negotiation, write down your, your no-go situation, thing, lines you will not cross, right? And that way, when that comes up in negotiation, and I can almost guarantee that it will, because the other party is always going to push until you say no, or they should, because they want to understand where your value really is or where what value you really assign to this business, right? So if you write down, I will, uh, well, for example, when my wife and I bought Directed Energy um, a couple of years ago, we said we will not go into debt to do this deal. That was one of the criteria. And so we negotiated with the parent company and uh, that was our position. And, and so we, but we knew that from the start. So when that came up in negotiation, you know, how we're going to capitalize the deal, we knew where we stood. 
We didn't have to, and we felt good about it. We said, this is where we are. And if this deal doesn't go through, we'll move on to something else. And that's okay. Let's shift a little bit now and talk about preparing a business or, or building a business that's sellable. Um, because most of the time, solopreneurs, especially and freelancers, don't have that in mind when they get started. And one of the things that kind of triggered our conversation initially was that I had had a podcast and a blog that were a part of a brand that I sold uh, several years ago. I ended up selling those to a competitor and I had no idea that they even had that kind of value. <laughs> Absolutely. So folks like me tend not to get into business as, uh, as a way of building something that's, you know, that's ultimately going to be sellable to someone else. It's something that we start based on our own passions and our own interests. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how would a person know if they have something that, that has that kind of value? Yeah. So there are, uh, the first thing I would say is, is these things generally, uh, don't just happen. Usually there's some intent that is behind the creation of transferable value. Okay. Um, in the case of your blog and podcast, uh, that is a condition where you had a, um, what did I write down here? Uh, content library, right? That you had that was available to sell and that had value. Uh, really what we need to think about is something that generates revenue that outpaces our working hours, right? Uh, because if you're, if you're, for example, if I'm teaching um, photography and I create a, a business, a freelance business around teaching people photography and I get paid for the time that I work, if I stop working, I stop getting paid, <clears throat> excuse me, it's very hard to transfer that business, right? Because I am, as a black and white photographer, film photographer, transferring that to somebody else, you can imagine the market for that uh, business is pretty small, especially now. So if I want to create value, now I have to say, okay, what is, what is it that I do that is special, right? What is, and, and in business, we call it a unique selling proposition, right? What makes me different than my competitors and how do I make that something that I can give to somebody else? Right. And so there's the first thing you can do is ask your customers why they buy from you and not somebody else. And you can frame that question a little differently than that, but you, cause you always want to keep it as a positive, but you say, what do you like about me? What is, what is your favorite thing about working with me? You know, and then you can always ask the, how can I improve question or whatever. But the idea is to understand uh, what your paying customers think your unique selling proposition is. Not your social media followers, not your friends and family. If they're not paying you with money, then they don't get a vote here. All right. Uh, because your social media followers, I have several people that I follow on social media that I love their content, but I haven't bought anything from them. So it would do them no good to ask me. In fact, one of them did ask me one time, 
why I wasn't buying from them. And I told them and I never heard back. I don't know if they changed their content or their offering or whatever, but that's, you know, that's useless information probably to them because I haven't purchased. So, you know, ask the people who do buy from you, what value you add, and then figure out how can I make that something that is more solid? Can it be transferable? And I have a few ideas here, you know, can I, that low hanging fruit that people are going to talk about a lot, online courses, right? Um, An ebook, workshops, stuff like that is fine. And you, you know, that may or may not work for your business model, but there are things like your content library that you shared earlier. Um, There is the customer list, right? And, and so, um, but there's also things like templates and fixtures and recipes that you can start to develop and copyright. And here's where we get into the thing that becomes really important for freelancers. And that is copyright or uh, intellectual property protection. So as you start developing this stuff, you need to understand how you can protect your intellectual property and hashtag, I'm not a lawyer. So (laughs) you know, find somebody who can help you protect that. Yes. It's probably good to put a disclaimer in here now and say that whatever advice that is given is not actually legal advice here. It's just, you know, it's a professional opinion, but it's not legal advice. The question that I have for you about intellectual property, Stephen, is that, um, for a lot of folks, they don't know what they can protect. And could you give us just a little bit of a, an insight into that? Um, and the other thing that I think people get confused about is the difference between copyright, trademark, and patent. Absolutely. And actually, there's more than one kind of patent. So there's a utility patent and a design patent and probably other ones. Uh, and again, talk to an intellectual property attorney. But that's Uh, those things are very important. So first of all, if you're creating original work, you should be thinking about, you know, uh, copywriting your content and what that looks like. You need to talk to, or at least research uh, copyright law around that thing. So if you're writing a book, what is copy? How do you register that copyright? Or do you need to register it? Can you just put the little circle with a C in it and 2022, and then you're good, you know? And that's the question that you need to answer. So uh, typically copyright is going to be around stuff that you've created. So written word, copy, photography, negatives, even the positives, um, digital photography, obviously. Uh, it, photography copyright in the United States is if you click the button, you own the shot, that's it. There's no, it's, it's very simple, but if you want to pursue legal action against a party for violating your copyright, you need to register your work. And that's where a lot of people don't, they don't take that extra step to register their work with the copyright office. That makes it very hard to pursue any kind of legal action against somebody who violates your, your rights. Um, And that's, that is there's more coming out about that. Now there's kind of a a copyright or intellectual property, small claims court that is coming out now. Uh, I'm not super familiar with that because I don't do my photography work for, um, for money. So 
you know, that's something that would be worth looking into uh, and, and finding out more about. Trademarking is a more targeted, specific thing where you say, this is my brand and it's a phrase that's unique or a, or a logo that's unique. And you register that again uh, with the government. And obviously we're talking about United States law here. Um, and that becomes protected and, and is searchable. So actually if somebody's looking to create a similar look and feel or a similar uses a similar phrase or name for their company, they can search the databases and say, oh, I can't use that because it's already protected. Um, but you can also go in and, and uh, say, no, you guys can't use that because I did it. Um, there's a, uh, there are a examples. Um, if you've seen uh, Coming to America with McDowell's and McDonald's. So that's a kind of a throwback for, for, for people. But, um, you know, obviously there's, there's, issues there. But, uh, and then patents, a design patent is actually less of less expensive, generally speaking, and allows you to, for example, patent a pattern for a product. Um, I had a, a scuba product that I d developed in the nineties, early two thousands, I guess it was early two thousands, um, that I did a design patent for and, um, for reasons of, I didn't want to make it overseas. I never went to market with it, but, uh, but it's relatively inexpensive. The design or the utility patent is where you patent something like uh, a valve for the space shuttle or a new kind of guitar or something like that. And so all of those things, as you develop your work, you can kind of figure out what criteria or what it can be protected with. And it's important to understand the better it's protected, the more saleable it will be. That's just a basic guide, as long as there's utility, right? I mean, if you protect something that's not useful, then that's not going to be helpful. But as long as there's utility, the more protection you get, the more you'll be able to sell it. So basically anything that you've created that's, that's brand related, that is, um, usable um, either from uh, an information perspective or from a utilitarian perspective um, any of those things can be protected and they can be valued um, as something that 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 may be interesting to a buyer down the road absolutely and i think what's really important franklin is that people need to be targeted about it um solopreneurs I kind of actually, the, the solopreneur phrase is kind of funny to me because a solopreneur is just an entrepreneur that doesn't have a partner. And in society, we think of a solopreneur more from the perspective of a freelancer, somebody who, who is just doing a specific task for money, and that's a solopreneur. And the, the reality is that a, an entrepreneur or solopreneur is someone who manages, organizes, and takes the risk of a business opportunity. And so if we put ourselves in those shoes, then we want to create a business that is generating value that is worth the risk. And so we start targeting, we start thinking about, well, when I go to exit this, either because I don't want to work as many hours, but I still want income, or 
I want to be able to move this, transfer the value to another party and be able to go to Bermuda and lay on the beach. We need to be doing that literally years before we decide to exit. We need to be thinking about what can I transfer? So in the case of this, the podcast, excuse me, we're doing this um, and creating media that will hopefully have value for uh, business owners that, as you say, you know, work behind a closed door, I think, is that, is that the uh, uh, yeah, phrase you use? A, in a room with a door. <laughs> in a room with a door. So, so you, you, um, we, we want to generate value for that audience. And so what can we do while well, we're creating this podcast? Obviously we can copyright the podcast um, and create that body of work. And you have experience with that, you know, and, and selling that. Um, and are there other things as a business owner that I can do that I can begin protecting or building or automating to create value? I mean, I think it's really important to understand that solopreneurs are great automators because we really do have partners. We have marketing partners like YouTube and Instagram and whoever else that we're using in social media. We have accounting partners in QuickBooks and all of these other things. So we really do use services and, and, and technology that wasn't available years ago, Zoom, for example, and, and online web services. And so we really are good automators and good partner finders. We need to leverage that towards the value that we create for our customers and say, okay, how can we generate long-term value out of that and create something that's ongoing? Now, another question that comes to my mind, and it especially comes to mind with relationship to a couple of books. And one of them is actually Think and Grow Rich. Uh, are you familiar with the story of that book? Yes. <laughs> What's really funny is like it had one round of really, really positive reception when Napoleon Hill was still alive. And then it just kind of died on the vine. After he died, generations after he died, all of a sudden it, there was a resurgence. And nobody owned the copyright. I mean, I think the copyright had lapsed on it. Yeah. And so there was a big battle between these different entrepreneurs over who actually owned it. And so one of the things that, that we've got to look at is that, you know, some of the creative work that you're doing right now may not even have value in your lifetime, but it may have value in some of your, uh, some of your family's lifetime or in some of your followers lifetime. And so one of the things that we can look at is that your intellectual property rights uh, continue past the time that you're no longer here. And they may actually give value to not only a business who would buy your intellectual property, but also possibly to your family and your heirs. Um, the other book that, uh, that came to my mind was, um, uh, oh, it's, it, it escaped me now as I was talking about Napoleon Hill. I just found it very interesting that his book of all of them, you know, he, the end of his life was, uh, was not as, as rich as he would have liked. <laughs> and yeah. And, so he, and I, 
Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. He just didn't, he didn't get a chance to enjoy the fruits of his labor as much as um, maybe we would have liked him to. So that was well, the only thought that I had. Yeah. And there are so many artists who fall into that category, right? They painted all this wonderful work or did all this wonderful work and they didn't really, they weren't really appreciated in their lifetime. And yeah, it, it only became valuable after scarcity set in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, for for us as as entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, uh, what we need to be looking at is, I guess, there's two pieces of this that we should be thinking about. First of all, there's the intentional development of something that we can transfer. Okay, like we've talked about already. But the other thing is being able to articulate that value to a potential buyer. And so you need to be able to, and and some of us really don't like talking about ourselves too much, right? Uh, which is why we work in an office with a closed door, right? Or a room with a closed door. Uh, we might oh, be I like talking about myself just fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so I speak for myself, but uh, we really need to be able to articulate the value of our work and say, this is why it's important. This is why it's going to be valuable to you as a potential buyer. And so you can spend the time creating with intent so that you have a body of work to sell, whatever that body looks like, like we talked about before, but you also have to be able to describe it, describe the value. And when it comes to that purchase process, when you're, when you're trying to sell that body of work and you're working with a potential buyer, being able to understand where that buyer is coming from what skill set they bring to the bring to the table helps you help them because you can start stepping into their shoes as much as possible and saying okay if i had that skill set what could i do with this intellectual property with this with these assets whatever those assets look like to create more value another question that that comes to my mind is like how important are things like systems and technology um, when you're determining the value of a business to sell? So that's, those are really good question because the, the value of a business is a calculation that you can Google. Okay. There's only really two kinds of calculations that people use to buy and sell small businesses. That's seller's discretionary discretionary earnings and asset value, okay? There are other business valuation models, but they're generally not used for small business, okay? So then the question becomes, so, so you have this calculation, does that mean I'm relegated to $280,000? That's what my business is worth and that's it? No. What happens in negotiation and what, what starts to color the experience for the buyer or the seller and influence that price is the transferability of value. And so when you, you said the magic word there, you said processes, right? Systems, things that you can um, easily teach someone how to use. So think about this. If I'm buying your business, I need to see myself running that business and being successful. And the more I can see myself running that business and being successful, the more I want to do it and the more risk I'm willing to take. 
So if I don't think it's a very great deal, I'm not going to, perfect example. My wife and I decided we would buy that business if we didn't have to take on debt. That was a risk analysis. So if the seller could have convinced us that it was a better deal, that the risk was lower, we might have been willing to pay more or have different terms. So conversely, as a business owner and we want to sell our business, we want to make that, that case very strong. So we want protected property. We want transferable processes. If you have machinery, we want it well-maintained, maintenance records, receipts, whatever. All of those things fold into the, to the final price of the deal. So you can have a business that makes the exact same amount of money, produces the exact same product. And if the owner is invested heavily in it, they're in there doing it every day and there it's all here. That's going to be worth a lot less than a business where the owner, it, they don't, the people don't even care if they go to work that day, or if you take a day off, you still get paid. Right. And as a freelancer, that's, that's something where we have to start becoming more creative as solopreneurs. We have to take that creative energy that we use to, teach music lessons or create photography or whatever, that creative muscle and say, how can I generate something that can be shared while I'm not working? Basically, if you stop working and you don't get paid, you need to keep working on it and say, okay, I need to get to the point where if I'm, if I stop working for a week, if I go to Hawaii or whatever, I still get paid. Maybe not as much, but I still get revenue. And that becomes more transferable and more valuable to another party. My goal is to actually have all of my financial bases covered by residual income so that everything that I earn from the actual labor of doing something, you know, by the hour or in a time-based way is just gravy. That's my goal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and honestly that should be the goal of well i shouldn't tell you what your goals are but it, that is a really good goal for solopreneurs in general is creating an environment around themselves a business uh system that allows them to make money when they're not working and and because that becomes transferable i'm surprised to see Stephen, that our time is already getting close oh. to being over if you can believe that and i feel like that we could go on um i have one question for you that i'd really like to um to end on and that is that the person who needs to find you what are they entering into a google search <laughs> that is a really good question you know how to buy a business how to sell a business um that's kind of the keywords one of the things that's important is that really I'm helpful in this very narrow place when an entrepreneur is getting in or getting out. Right. And, and I get that, you know, that's um, so it's really, it's for me, it's not the Google search. It's the exposure the someone saying, Oh yeah, I'm, I need to do that. I want to do that with confidence. I want to do it with peace of mind. So it becomes a word of mouth thing more than a Google search. 
Well, what I'll say is that if I'm searching on Google or not, the way to find Stephen Krauss is to go to uh, beyond50percent.com and it's five zero, not 50 spelled out. Beyond50percent.com is where you can find out more about what he's up to. Is there anything that you'd like to say in closing, Stephen? I just like to tell everybody that running a business, whether you're a freelancer or an entrepreneur with 20 employees, whatever, um, this is hard stuff and go easy on yourself. Um, take time and get, you know, one of the things as entrepreneurs that we have sometimes a really hard time doing is getting help. And I'm not trying to be self-promoting there, but, but when you need it, get help because we can't be good at everything. And so take it easy, get the help you need. And also thank you for being an entrepreneur. It's a huge part of our economy and a huge part of what's important to our, our uh, uh, country as a whole. So thank you. Stephen, I appreciate you being my guest. Uh, you've brought uh, some wonderful information that we all need to consider uh, both in the in the beginning and the end of our business and some in the middle as well. But <laughs> I appreciate the time that you've spent with me today and I hope that people will take this opportunity to find you at beyond50percent.com and um, I'll look forward to seeing you again down the road. Thanks for having me, Franklin. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Your Own Best Company. If you enjoyed the show, would you do me a favor and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast host? If you really love it, leave me a review or share it with your circles. If you feel like your career is reaching a dead end or you're feeling a deep sense of dissatisfaction in your work right now, I help people discover their gifts and then find or create new opportunities that are the best fit for their talent, experience, and lifestyle. Email me at coaching at franklintaggart.com for more information. I also help people start, finish, and launch creative projects, and I offer an ongoing marketing mastermind for solopreneurs and freelancers. More information on these programs and services can be found at franklintaggart.com. Thanks again for spending this time with me.